What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's going on, everyone? This is Mike, and you're listening to episode five of the Mike and Dave Podcast. We're in the semifinals of the playoffs. The Hawks are still in it. Things are going good. Dave, how you feeling? Man, I don't know how I'm feeling. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, and yesterday we just saw Giannis get injured, and we saw the Hawks win Game Four. And I'm definitely excited about the Hawks winning, and I think they were potentially going to win that game even with Giannis healthy. But it's just crazy how we've seen so many injuries in the playoffs, man. Like to these star players as well. It's not just like random dudes getting injured. It's it's Giannis, it's Trey, it's you know Devin Booker has to wear the mask now. Embiid was hurt, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's crazy. Kawhi was hurt. Um, the big one to me, uh, Jamal Murray. We had to have MVP Jokic playing without his like his sidekick, right, or is like the next best player on that team. Who last year in the playoffs was one of the best players in the playoffs. I think the Nuggets make a, a lot far a lot farther if Jamal Murray's able to play. So so you think that the Suns like you think the Nuggets would have beaten the Suns if Jamal Murray was playing even though they got swept? Dude, let's put it this way. I'll be I'll be honest. I I know I said the Suns would have or were gonna get swept in the first round. And now currently they're one win away from the finals. I'm just going to be that guy that like dies on this hill like at every every opportunity. I'm like the Suns will eventually prove me right that Devin Booker's not leading this team to a championship. And so, yes, I'm going to agree to what you said. If Jamal Murray was healthy, then the Nuggets would have beaten them. I'm not going to say they they should have swept them cuz I already looked dumb enough, but I I do think the Nuggets would have won potentially the entire thing if Jamal Murray wasn't hurt. Like so you're saying the entire thing is in the finals. Like the Nuggets would have won the Okay. Well, that's a hot take for you. Um I can't say that I agree, but like every to each their own opinion, you know. Um I think honestly Michael Porter Jr. needed to show more as well uh in order for that to happen and he didn't really Aaron Gordon played okay, but you know, it's when you trade for a guy mid-season, you kind of want more from that pickup, you know? Um, but anyway, so yeah, Mike, Mike and I were, uh, you know, we're excited about the Hawks, I would say magical run into the playoffs. And we were actually thinking about going to the game this coming Saturday, uh, game six, which we know is going to be happening now because it's two to two, obviously, in the, in the series. But um, I don't know if you like. I don't know if you saw this, but tickets are very, very expensive. In fact, like some of the most expensive tickets in the playoffs that we've seen for quite some time. Like even kind of comparing to the Warriors back when Steph was balling and the Warriors were in their dynasty. And that's because of the showstopper that Trey Young is. Yeah, we're talking like the nosebleed seats for these for this game. All right around $250, which well, know, my back's not treating me that right, so I don't really want to drive to Atlanta at the moment. But 
even if I was willing to drop that, that's a decent amount of money. Well, like it's two hundred fifty dollars, and then you have to pay the fees, and then you have to pay the parking, and then you have to pay however much money for like the food and all that. There, it's like I I love the Hawks, I support them, but you know, I've got bills to pay. You know what I'm saying? Like I've got <laughs> I've got stuff I got to take care of. Now listen, I'm mad because. Oh, is this just going to be like a that's disrespectful segment at the beginning? or Not, not quite, but I'm still kind of peeved. Okay. Because we are on episode five. That is a handful, a literal handful of episodes, and we're not rolling in it yet. Like, I thought I thought that was the system, right? You, you start the podcast, you, you post on social, you get your friends to talk about it, and then you're like booming on a major network, and I'm still sitting in my house. Not going to this game on Saturday because that 250 is going to be hurting my pocket. What's going on here? I don't know, man. It's like you would have thought that like Travis Schlink or somebody was calling us up to like go and scout some players or, you know, maybe cover, you know, we could go in and cover the game or something. Or like at this point, like give us press passes. Either that or like where's our sponsorship at? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this it, it wouldn't be the first time we've ever had a sponsor low key flex right there but like we've had a we had a sponsor or two back in the day back on our old radio show like we know how to make things entertaining we we know how to how to you know get people interested in your product or and or service not only have we had sponsors we've straight up hosted events we've been there we've done that and we've been to Hawks games before we're familiar with the arena. It's true. So, I mean, if that's not a good enough pitch for any of you out there listening, then like hit us up, you know, you know where to find us. We, we say our social media every single time on the podcast. So like you should know where to find us, but you know, it is what Facebook, it is. Twitter and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yes, that, that is where you can find us and we will reply um so yeah man it'll still be fun watching on on tv mike and i'll get to watch the game together uh in person which will be cool um because we actually spoiler alert if you didn't already know this or if you just assumed we were in the same room recording this we actually live a couple hours away from each other now so we don't actually record these in the same room so like sorry to like if that's sad to you or something, I, I've told people that before and they've just been like, really? I, I I thought that y'all would just like be hanging out and just like talking. Well, we are hanging out and talking. It's just not in the same room, but we'll get to watch the Hawks game together on Saturday. So hoping that that, that they'll close it out. They'll uh, win game three or win their third game of the series. I should say uh, in Milwaukee and then close it out at home in Atlanta. That would be amazing, but we'll see. You're really letting them peek behind the curtain here. Like so much for a magician never revealing his secrets. You're just like, hey guys, let's let's break down how we do this thing here. Hey, I I didn't tell them what recording software we use, where we host our podcast, what microphone I bought, et cetera, et cetera. I I I haven't done all that, man. I'm just letting them in, you know? Like we we I know for me personally, like I want to have a connection. With our adoring public, you know? Wow. <laughs> the adoring public. Episode five came really quick, huh? Well, so 
it's the adoring public first and then the sponsorships that that was that's my thought process you know you gotta learn to crawl before you can walk <laughs> i mean if you want to <laughs> if you want to say that then i guess sure on a serious note though here is hoping that the hawks can clutch out because the farthest that we've seen in our lifetime the hawks go is the Eastern Conference Finals back in 2015, and they got swept at the time. So this is already like the most successful Hawks team that we've had in our lifetime, uh, being two games away from the finals. They haven't been to the finals since like 61 or 62, somewhere in there. They haven't won since 1958, and that was when they were in St. Louis anyway. So we're already like making history, but realistically speaking we're six wins away from bringing the first championship to atlanta basketball yeah when you say it like that six wins doesn't sound like a lot um i mean i'm definitely excited to be honest i'll be that guy and say like if we lose this series i'm not going to be that mad i'll be disappointed but i won't be like upset and that's just because i'm just so proud of our guys this year and and of coach McMillan and everything that everything that's happened pretty much since Lloyd Pierce got fired. Sorry, Lloyd. Um, yeah, man, I just it's just been a fun ride and just watching this team gel and and really peak at the right time and seeing Trey Young do his thing in the playoffs. I mean, us tr- us trading Luca for Trey still kind of hurts me, but this has made it a lot less painful, I would say. I think this isn't going to be a hot take necessarily. I think that Luca is just objectively a better player than Trey, like in a vacuum. But I think Trey fits our team better than Luca would. Uh, the floater slash lob that he's crafted, that he's been tearing the league up with, fits so perfectly with Clint Capella and John Collins. And I don't know that if we take out Trey and insert Luca that were as successful because I think that element goes away and that's what makes us the most deadly. Um, frankly, if we win a championship at all, I'm, you will never hear me complain about the Luca trade ever. Right. And I guess you can say like who got knocked out in the first round and who's still here again. At, right. Exactly. After beating, two teams that were seated higher than them and holding their own against a team that people were still saying we're, we're going to wipe the floor with the Hawks. Like I think at this point, if you haven't given the Hawks respect, if you haven't given Trey young your respect, then you're just being a hater, you know, like, and that's disrespectful. That is disrespectful. Absolutely. Um, so if we, if we end up seeing, and I, I can't imagine Giannis is going to play the next game. If like, based on, what I saw yesterday Um, and y'all will already know by the time this comes out what happened, but I would, I would be shocked. So it, it it may very well be like battle of the best, like the team with the best depth and the guys like the most contributors. I mean, even in the game yesterday, we saw Cam Reddish balling. We, we saw Bogdanovich finally hitting some shots when he just didn't really look right before that. Gallinari has been, so clutch. I have been maybe not on the podcast, but 
I have been a Gallinari hater for pretty much this entire season. And then during that first uh, that first playoff series against the Knicks, man, I, I was just tearing into him. To be fair, he was terrible <laughs> in that first series. But uh, against the Sixers, he was really important. And he's hit some really important shots for, for us in this series as well so far. So definitely shout out to to him. And we were just talking about this earlier as well. Like Nate McMillan's gotten a ton of credit for turning this season around and rightfully so he's been amazing and they better resign him. Like they better resign him, but let's give some credit to Travis Schlink as well. Cause this man has literally, I looked, I looked at this the other day. He's literally built this entire Hawks team from when he got here at May of 2017 until now, there are no holdovers from before that. So he's, he's built this roster all the way up with obviously drafting really well, um, making a couple of trades like for Capella, for Gallinari, uh, for Lou Will. I mean, Lou Will for Rondo and we get two second rounders. Like that is looking like one of the more underrated, like best trades, like of not of non-superstars than that I can think of in quite some time, just based on how Rondo's played for the Clippers and how Lou Will has really come through being clutch for the Hawks. Honestly, big shout out to Travis Schlenk. You were doing an amazing job. Um, so yeah, him and McMillan seem like a really good pairing for the future for the Hawks, in my opinion. Absolutely agree. Couple comments. Nate McMillan, I think I've said this before. Nate McMillan was the coach I wanted when we hired Lloyd Pierce in the first place. <laughs> so to see him like take over, like period, I was so hyped. Now, the news I have been hearing is that it's all but official that McMillan's going to resign. Like, the deal is basically done. It just hasn't been publicized yet. I really freaking hope that's the case. <laughs> because, like, if I'm if I'm Schlenk, I'm writing him a blank check. Saying, whatever you want, dude, take it. Honestly, like, if... Can he be, like, the uh, the unwritten coach of the year? Where, like, we understand that from the time he took over, he basically has been the best coach in basketball. He just didn't play enough games to qualify, or coach enough games to qualify for the actual award. Uh-huh. But another, the other thing I'll say, because you mentioned Giannis's injury, one thing I noticed in the game yesterday, in game four, the Bucks come out pretty much fully loaded, right? And the Hawks are missing our best player. Everyone knows our our team like starts and ends with Trey Young. And the Bucks came out looking like they just expected to win. Didn't really have their foot on the gas. And the Hawks like were fighters. But what I really want to point out is Giannis goes down. We're up by like 13, I think, at that point. And the Hawks stepped on the gas. We were like, okay, their best player's out. We have to take advantage of this. Um, that's what you're supposed to do. If your other team's player is out, you have to capitalize on that. And we saw the Hawks, coached by Nate McMillan, do that. They capitalized on Giannis's injury. And the Bucks did not capitalize on injury. And going into game five, if neither of them play, that makes me believe that the Hawks will win again because they were just more prepared to come out with that ferocity and that like that mentality of we got to go in and get this. For sure. So hopefully McMillan resigns. I'm sure they'll announce it 
probably once the Hawks either win the championship or bow out of the playoffs. Um, and another guy, John Collins, like he's going to be a free agent. I believe that we have the ability to think he'll be restricted. So I think we'll be able to, um, to match any offer sheet. I could be wrong about that, but regardless the way he's played um, and just kind of the sense that I've gotten from like his, his interviews and, and everything, I think he's really important for the culture of this Hawks team. Uh, even for like a younger guy, I guess on this team, he's not necessarily a, a super young guy now. Um, but I don't know how much money he's going to want or how much money somebody's going to pay him. But I, I really hope that, w- that we resign him uh, because he's, he's put on some really good performances and he's really shown growth over the course of his career here in Atlanta. Um, developing his three-point shot because that wasn't really a part of his game and he's gotten better as a rim protector obviously he still has that athleticism that makes him who he is but if we don't bring him back then that's going to be kind of a a gaping hole for me um in in our front court i would have been hesitant to give him a decent amount of money if you asked like three four months ago we haven't seen him in the playoffs. Who knows what he looks like in the playoffs? He's looked good in the playoffs. He really has. And whether it's his three-point shot, his rim running, or straight up posting people up, we see that when he gets switches, he wants these matchups. He wants the ball in his hand. He's taking advantage of height, uh, height advantages that he's given. He's shooting over shorter players. He's backing down smaller players. He's playing really well. It's I'm not going to go as far as I went with DeAndre Ayton in terms of like enforcing his will down low, but really solid. And I think the other thing too, him and Trey Young have this really good connection, not just in terms of the lobs, but when you see them talk to each other, when you see them like interacting with one another, they love each other. Um, and part of how you keep a culture is you keep players together that want to be together. Otherwise, you're going to give the impression like we don't care about you. We don't care about how you feel. We don't care about your input. We brought this up last time when it came to Aaron Rodgers and his receivers, right? Um, How's Trey Young? Priority number one basically should be keeping Trey Young. How's Trey Young going to feel if you get rid of one of his best friends and his alley-oop partner and just say, eh, we didn't care to re-sign him. Trey, go out there and ball. We're going to have just another like disgruntled star because we couldn't keep him happy. So if for no other reason than to like keep the core together and to like keep everyone happy, keep the, keep the vibe up. Yeah. I definitely want to resign him. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Okongu can come in and take his spot. Cause you can't play Okongu and Capella together in today's NBA. Like there's just not enough shooting there. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, we're talking a little bit about the off season now, it'll be interesting to see what decisions the Hawks make, um, who they keep, who they decide, you know, if there are any trades and also who they draft. Um, just kind of moving into the NBA combine, which has happened in the past, past week or so uh, when, while we were recording this and definitely some standout performers that we wanted to talk about. Um, but also interestingly, just kind of wanted to briefly touch on the fact that a lot of the draft's best players chose to not participate in the combine. And this is a trend that we've seen for the past several years where the combine just isn't that big of a deal for guys who already kind of know that they're going to be drafted high. Um, 
and I just I just kind of wanted to talk about that for a second and, and get your thoughts on these top prospects bowing out of the combine, whether that's a good or a bad decision. I totally get it. Like, if you're Cade Cunningham and you're expected to go number one, you could you can skip the combine. You're not like maybe the Pistons decide to go a different direction. You're not falling out of like the top three. If you're a player like Jalen Suggs, who was already getting good press, but then you come out in March Madness and ball, then you rose your stock enough. You're going to be like top six. I, I don't see Suggs falling out of the top six of this draft. But pretty much after like six or seven or so, it's pretty low low risk for injury. Once every couple of years, we'll see someone get hurt like during combine events. And that injury is usually like a month or so. It doesn't really drastically change whether or not they get drafted or not. Or it doesn't really change whether they get drafted. So I would do it because it gives you that last opportunity to really raise your stock. This could go from second round to first round or from low first to lottery pick. And that's going to result in a payday for a lot of these players. So I don't really see a harm in it, but I also think it would be silly to try and mandate like you have to go to the combine because at the end of the day, A, the players have the freedom to go, no, I I think I'm safe. I'm going to gamble and bet that I've done enough over the course of this season or this college career or whatever to cement myself. And then if you're the team, it's up to you to do the research, right? If you want to draft someone that didn't go to the combine, that's your prerogative, and no one's going to make you pick someone that only went to the comp, only pick people that went to the combine. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think that the combine is now for more athletic players rather than guys who are just going to be more like the high IQ leader on the court. You know, maybe like highly skilled but not quite as athletic. I think it's more for guys who really want to show off how athletic they can be because teams can use those numbers. And also we don't like, this is a big thing just for this past year, but coaches like NBA scouts and coaches didn't really get to go to college basketball games. You know, like they haven't seen a lot of these guys in person, especially the freshmen. So this would be a great time to see in person with your own eyes how these guys perform and also talk to them and get to know, you know, get to know them a little bit better as well. And I think guys can hurt their stock, but I think more of the time we see guys increasing their stock rather than decreasing their stock at the combine. Uh, because it's just, it's a place for you to prove yourself, you know, uh, prove yourself against the other top players uh, who are going to be in your draft class. And also just show them like, I want to work. I want to be here. Uh, I want to show you what I can do because I'm confident in my abilities. Part, like, I think the the guys who don't participate, somebody like Jalen Suggs, like Cade Cunningham, like you don't have to prove anything else. You were one of one of the nation's best players, you know? But even a guy like, uh, like Luca Garza, who was obviously a fantastic college basketball player, like he actually hurt his stock by going to the combine because he just didn't really play that well. And 
and scouts were wondering, will his game transition to the NBA or not? And he, he definitely cut some weight, but like he just, it wasn't really there. And scouts were, were not impressed with what they saw. So like, that's an example of a guy who went and trying to bet on himself. I, I still think a team will probably take a flyer on him. I mean, you can't be one of the best players in college basketball and just not get drafted. That would be crazy. Uh, I think he deserves at least a flyer, but we're going to kind of go, go into uh, two players, each one in the second round, one in the first round that we think um, definitely did a lot to raise their stock at the combine this year. So Mike, if you want to go ahead and say who your pick is, who will probably be in that second round mix uh, in the draft coming up. So, I'm going with Joshua Primo from Alabama, who's a freshman. He's about 6'6", 190 guard, plays the two guard. And you say second round. So prior to the combine, he was definitely looking at second round. And I'm going to clarify one thing before I get into this. He hasn't officially declared for the draft. He, he still might go back to Alabama for his sophomore season. Uh, I think the time to, I think he has a couple weeks to make that decision, but he went to the combine just to, he said he wanted to like dip his toe in the water, see where he stands and everything. And he actually wasn't super explosive in like the vertical, the, the cone drills, anything like that. But what a bunch of scouts raved on was that he actually had one of the most impressive combines in terms of the, the games played. They raved about his feel for the game, his passing, which is saying something because this is a guy that averaged like 0.8 assists this season. It's just that the way Alabama's offense was set up, he was not really a facilitator on that team. Um, Mainly he was getting looks as a really good three-point shooter. He shot like 38%, um, averaging like around nine points a game. And so they were like, okay, well, here's a shooter. He's got decent size. But no, his feel for the game was apparently really, really good. Now he's looking at like jumping potentially into like that 20 to 40 range, the middle half or like the middle third of the draft. So this could be a riser if he just if he does decide to go for the draft. Yeah, that's always an interesting call is if you perform really well, then you kind of think, well, I kind of have to go. But then if you wait, and you play really well and have a bigger role at, at at college in your sophomore season, then maybe you're maybe you do top fifteen, you know, next year. So definitely a gamble, and it'll be interesting to see how how it pans out for him. Uh, my pick for second rounder is a guy who potentially before the combine wasn't really going to get drafted at all, and this is Jericho Sims from Texas. Uh, so Sims is a guy who is very athletic, big man. 6'10", 250 pounds, 7'3", wingspan, so pretty good there. And this is crazy. He posted the second best vertical at the Combine this year, 44 inches as a big man with a 7'3", wingspan. That's verticality right there for you. And we'll we'll get into who had the the best vertical uh, a little bit later. But Sims is a guy who really showed out, kind of like I was talking about before about athleticism, he really showed his athleticism and how it can translate, not just uh, on the scales or in, in the drills, but also in the games. He averaged 14 and a half points and five rebounds in about 25 minutes 
uh, over the course of the two games and was just kind of a beast and was kind of everywhere. Interestingly enough, he has measurements similar to Bam Adebayo. Now, he's probably not going to be on like as good on offense as Bam is, but even if he's just like, you know, lob catcher, finisher around the rim, offensive rebounder, that kind of thing on offense, he has a chance to be pretty special on defense with the right coaching around him. So he's really played his way into into second round contention, and chances are he's going to hear his name called on draft night. Absolutely, and it's those those bigs with that athleticism that everyone wants now, right? Those are especially athleticism like his. I think he had, so he had the third or fourth highest vert that we've seen like in twenty years or something like that. At six ten is crazy. Even if like if he ends up on the Hawks, for example, you said with the right coaching. One thing that we've been lacking, I'll say, Okong was stepped up in the last like let's say six games or so, but early in the playoffs, what we looked like we were lacking was a really good big man off the bench. Mm-hmm. So someone like Jericho Sims that could come in, play defense, collect boards, and be a lob threat. Not necessarily just the Hawks, but like the Hawks as an example of a team that could definitely use that. Like Plenty of teams are going to want a player like that. And with 60 picks in the draft, like you got to let one fly. Someone's going to get it. For sure. So those are our second round picks. Uh, moving into the first round, who you got, Mike? The one getting the most headlines, pretty much. Uh, Keon Johnson from Tennessee. You you break the combine record for the max vertical leap you got to get talked about. Mm-hmm. 48-inch vert. Come on. like That is ridiculous. It's if, if my math is correct, that's four feet, right? Yep, that's four feet. So he broke the record. I could stop there. But he broke the record by two and a half inches, which is insane. And just just to remind everybody, this is standing. This isn't like you get a running start and then you jump over like a car or something. This is like this dude could just stand next to a car, like the hood or whatever, and just like jump over it and like not and not even like phase him. That's just that is just absurd athleticism. He was already looking at like, I think typical projections had him around 10, 10 or 11. We might see someone shoot for him at like six or seven now. Because we've said it before, surely we'll say it plenty of times again in the future. You can't teach that athleticism. Someone is going to want, or plenty of teams are going to want someone that can jump out of the gym like that. Because you can develop the defense. You can develop the shooting. He was a good player anyway. Right? Um, this is just putting numbers to like how freakishly athletic we already knew he was. Um, as a freshman at Tennessee, averaged 11 points, 3.5 boards, 2.5 assists. Shot 27% from 3. And it's not great, but it's not horrendous either. The point of that is he shows potential to step out and hit that outside jumper. And generally speaking, most players tend to improve their three-point shot within their first, like, four years in the league. I mean, there are the Ben Simmons of the world that refuse to learn. But Keon Johnson's already shooting them at Tennessee. He's going to come in and be willing to learn how to 
improve that stroke and that'll make him a very valuable wing player. For sure. And he's the type of guy who like, you can't teach that, that athleticism, you know? Um, so I'm sure he's going to be very exciting and definitely one of the more talked about players, uh, towards that back half of that top 10 of the draft, uh, going into draft night. So somebody else who's going to be, who's being talked about a lot because of his combine, Scotty Barnes from Florida state. I am a Florida state fan. So, you know, no conflict of interest here. Just purely talking about facts. Um, Scotty Barnes is one of those guys who's, uh, he's an interesting player because he's not a guy who's going to take over the game. He's not going to ISO. Um, he's not a really much of a three point threat right now. Shot like 28% from three on like a couple attempts a game. So he's definitely going to need to improve that. But what he makes up for, for that is by his defense. He can kind of guard all five positions. I mean, he's 225 pounds, seven foot three wingspan as a wing. Like that's crazy. Nine foot standing reach as a wing. That's crazy. 39 and a half inch vertical. Like he's a guy who's crazy athletic, athletic kind of across the board. And not only that, but he's a smart player too. He's a guy who averaged four assists as a wing as well. He can kind of operate in that point forward position, kind of like Draymond Green does for the Warriors. Um, And he's a guy who's, like I said, he's going to need to improve his, his three point shooting a little bit, but um, the way that he was shooting at the combine was, or made executives really kind of bullish on, his opportunity to get better in that area and continue to improve. And if you've got a guy who can defend all five positions, be a secondary distributor for your team and be a guy who, who can shoot threes and be a threat on the outside, then that sounds like a star player to me. Uh, So it's kind of been talked about, like they're like top five players in the draft. Um, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, and Jonathan Kuminga. But Scotty Barnes kind of played his way into the the back part of that top five. And people are now saying that he might go at four, he might go at five, probably not going to fast pass or fall past six. So definitely Keon Johnson and Scotty Barnes, I think, are the two big winners from the combine as far as lottery picks are concerned. And not only that, what I was saying before about going and improving yourself. He's a lone lottery prospect that actually participated in every single event of the combine. The only guy. So he's, he knew that he had something to to come in and prove. He's been talked about being, you know, being a great teammate. Everybody loves him at Florida state. So in my eyes, sounds like a, like a win for whatever team gets to draft him and definitely a winner overall for the combine this year. I mean, he just sounds like the kind of player you want, like in every, pretty much every way. Aside from running point, like what more do you really, really want? Um, and looking at the draft order now, like the lottery is happening and everything. For looking at that first few picks, obviously we got Detroit, Houston, Cleveland. He'll probably fall past the three of them, right? But when we get to four, we got the Raptors. They're going to be looking for a new star, right? Um, I don't think Pascal Siakam is like going to be the num like the main guy on a championship team. Um, we got the magic They're in full rebuild and they could use us. They could use a star to hand the franchise to, um, the thunder 
also rebuilding. They're going to be basing a lot on Shea Gilgis Alexander. We got the Warriors, who are going to have the Splash Brothers and Draymond. First of all, Draymond could be that like mentor type to Scotty Barnes, but also they could plug him into that. And then we got the Magic again. Yeah, and there and there's no way he's like he's getting past the Magic's second pick for sure. Interesting thing about the Magic too, like Jonathan Isaac was playing really well before he unfortunately got injured. Um, when he comes back, they're going to have two guys who are like two defensive wings who will trouble pretty much any offensive wing in the NBA uh, on their day. And they can just switch off. Or, I mean, if you have both of those guys doubling you with their wingspans and their athleticism, like that is crazy. Um, So that would be an interesting pick for the Magic. Kind of not necessarily conventional, but building around a couple guys. They have other players as well, but a couple of wings who are, you know, maybe defense first, but also can, can provide some different things on offense as well. So it'll be interesting to see where, where he lands, but definitely wanted to shout him out as, as you know, he just kind of, like you said, he, he sounds like a winner. So. And the only thing to add to that really is like, we think of the championship teams as like being like having a big and a point guard, right? Like that's what you build around. But there are exceptions to every rule, right? And what's the best team ever? Pretty much the, the bulls, right? Two, two way wings. Jordan and Pippen. So it's not like there's an absence of evidence of that working really, really well. For sure. So that wraps up our kind of recap of the NBA combine. And we're going to have some fun when we come back. Uh, Mike and I are each going to give our top five sports moments of all time. So stick around. All right. So we're going to kick off a brand new segment that we'll be bringing back plenty of times going forward. We're going to call this segment top five. So whatever prompt we decide to go with, we're just going to go down our own personal top five, whether this is like a a favorite or what we think is best or whatever. And so what we mentioned earlier for this episode is we're doing our five favorite sports moments that we've seen personally in our lifetime. So I'm not including like the Hawks winning in 1958 because I didn't see it. So... Only things that we've personally witnessed. Dave, give me your top five. So this was pretty fun traveling back down memory lane. Uh, Just thinking about some different cool moments for me in my lifetime. My my dad introduced me to to sports when I was very young. Mostly baseball and hockey growing up. But uh, but yeah, so coming in at number five is the kick six. Auburn versus Alabama in the Iron Bowl 2013. Now, I'm not an Auburn fan. I'm not an Alabama fan, obviously. Otherwise, this wouldn't be on my list if I was a Bama fan. But this is kind of two parts. Number one, it was probably the most unbelievable ending to a game that I've ever seen that was just so completely like out there. Um for any of you who somehow have not watched that or heard about it, just type in kick six Auburn versus Alabama or kick six iron bowl and watched on YouTube. It is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that one, I was at my, uh, my grandma's house and in South Georgia, we always go there every year for Thanksgiving. All the guys sit around and watch football. And this was kind of the, the best moment out of all of those Thanksgiving and, uh, rivalry games that we've watched 
was that moment of the kick six, just not being able to believe what I saw and everybody was kind of going crazy at the house. It was just a really cool time. So that was number five. Number four, uh, probably the second craziest play that I've ever seen. And that was the Minneapolis Miracle. Uh, This was 2018, the playoffs, the Vikings versus the Saints. And my, my dad grew up cheering for the Vikings. So the Vikings have kind of been my second team after the Falcons. And so obviously we were cheering for the Vikings in this game. It looked like there was just no chance. And then all of a sudden, Marcus Williams decides to go for this stupid tackle where he just basically projects himself like a missile and completely misses uh, Stefan Diggs, who just turns around after catching the pass, trots down the sideline and wins the game. Absolutely crazy. My dad and I were just flipping out uh, in, in their basement. It was just absolutely ridiculous. So that one was really exciting. Uh, number three, this is kind of like the best moment that I can remember of watching the Braves with my dad, which is something that I've done or that we've done for as long as I can remember, honestly. That's like our thing. Uh, And this was Jason Hayward's home run in his first ever at bat in 2010. And Jason Hayward back then was viewed as this like super talented young guy who was going to be the next big thing in the major leagues. So there was the hype was real around him. And then he comes up and ends up launching this, long home run in the first inning against the Cubs. I remember it was Carlos Zambrano and he was just, he just had this look on his face like really? Uh, And Chip Carey's call was just like, welcome to the show! And it was just like, I'm just getting chills just thinking about it. Um, So that was just super exciting to cheer with my dad about it and um, his career didn't end up going the best and now funnily enough, he actually plays for the Cubs. But yeah, that was probably the best moment of watching the games with my dad, which is a big part of my like sports, like growing up in sports and everything. So number two has got to be the Atlanta United winning the MLS Cup in 2018. Uh, my guy, Joseph Martinez, what a legend. Uh, leading the team to Atlanta's first major sports championship since the Braves in 1995 when I was about six months old. So obviously Atlanta United at that point was just like a couple of years old. So it wasn't like a team that I've been supporting my entire life, but it was still an Atlanta team. I got really into soccer a few years ago and follow it pretty much as closely as any other sport at this point. And having our team in the second year of existence go the whole way and win the MLS Cup. And also just playing a type of soccer that was just really entertaining to watch, where you don't even have to like soccer. And it's just a fun experience, uh, not only to watch it, but go to the games as well. It just kind of became a team that everybody in Atlanta could unite around and, and cheer on. And as a city of transplants, we can't really say that for a lot of our other teams. So it was just cool to see one of our teams in Atlanta actually be successful and be exciting and fun and 
yeah, us just winning that was like, finally, an Atlanta team broke the curse. Now, we'll just have to see if the Hawks can do it this year. Um, and obviously, I'm hopeful for the Braves. I'm not hopeful for the Falcons. It's just, it is what it is now. And we've mentioned, I think we mentioned this a few episodes ago, but Atlanta United was sort of spared that longstanding Atlanta curse where they didn't even, they hadn't even been around long enough to see like shit go wrong over and over and over again. But it was still so encouraging to a city that really freaking needed it to see, Mm -hmm. okay, a championship can in fact make its way to Atlanta. Yeah, for sure. So that was a big thing for me. And then number one, and it was tough because I thought about putting Atlanta United number one, but I ended up going with the Florida State comeback from 21 to three down in the 2013 BCS championship game against Auburn. So I've been a Florida State football fan for quite some time now. Um, My grandparents live pretty close to Tallahassee, so I just kind of adopted them as my college football team. So this was pretty much my first like team that I supported winning a championship. And not only that, but the like the actual game itself, one of the more underrated college football games of all time, especially championship games. If you don't really remember what happened, then unless you're an Auburn fan, I would recommend you go and watch it because it was absolutely crazy. That was back when Jameis Winston, which, you know, definitely mixed feelings about him, but Jameis Winston was the quarterback and uh, the Uh, Trey Mason was Auburn's running back. He had something crazy like 250 yards rushing or something. And he ended up scoring a touchdown with like a minute 12 left or whatever. Florida State drives all the way down the field. And Jameis Winston completes a pass to Kelvin Benjamin in the end zone with like 12 seconds left in the game to go up and, and win. And it was just, I almost couldn't believe it. Like one of my teams actually won and came back and was clutched with like 12 seconds left in the game. It was absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, definitely watch that if you're just a fan of college football and comebacks and just good games. But yeah, that's got to be a number one for me. Someday I'll, I hope that one of my like big four teams that I'm a fan of will deliver that same like feeling to me that you've experienced with FSU. I'm sorry, Mike. I'll get I'll get into something like that when I get when I go through my list, but yeah, none of my big four up there. Uh, you mentioned the Braves winning you when you were a few months old. Michigan won the championship in football when I was like two, so that didn't make it on my list either because I wasn't cognizantly watching it. I think that's a good list. Um, also thought about the Minneapolis miracle. Didn't make it on my list because it's not a team that I'm like that involved with. Right. Mm. It's like there's not that connection. For the same reason, I would just add an honorable mention of the Beast Quake, Marshawn Lynch running through the entire Saints defense. Um, there was one guy he stiff armed twice in the same play, uh, which is special to me because it's against the Saints. But mm-hmm. I just want to shout that one out there. Number five on my list is different from the other four. And so I'm not going to say that it's less special to me, it's just different. And that's why I'm going to make it number five. Uh, number five on my list, the Suns beating the Hawks 
in 2006 uh, in Atlanta. This made it on my list because this was the first basketball game I ever went to. The first non-baseball game that I went to. And obviously I, I care more about basketball and football now, so this stands out. But it's one of my like favorite childhood memories. I went to the game with my dad. We had a great time. It was like a great bonding moment for the two of us. And it's where I like point to for where I really got into basketball. Uh, I mentioned that it was the Suns winning because we went and Steve Nash is playing for the Suns. He's my favorite player ever. Um, probably because my first game was going and seeing him. He's in the middle at this point of his back-to-back MVP season. So this is prime Steve Nash that I'm getting to see at my first game. And so we went planning on cheering for the Hawks and the Hawks are still my favorite team in all of sports, but something about watching that team just over the course of that game, I just wanted Nash to succeed. I wanted Nash to win. Um, So in that day, I like had this great memory with my dad. I fell in love with basketball. I knew that like I wanted to root for the Hawks and I wanted to keep going to these games, but I also loved Steve Nash and wanted to see him succeed. So this is just like a huge introduction into like sports for me. This is like where I identify getting into sports at all. So that's number five for me. Number four, Trey Burke beating the buzzer to force overtime against Kansas in March Madness. So Trey Burke playing for Michigan. This is back in 2013. 2013 was just a good year. Yeah, <laughs> for these moments, the Iron Bowl for me and Florida State winning, <laughs> and now yours too. So 2013 also happens to be the best bracket I've ever filled out. Where I only got like six wrong, but I like there was an issue with my submission on ESPN that still wow. haunts me. So I didn't make money off of it. But um, point in perspective, I had the right two teams in the championship, and I had the score right, but the winner wrong. That's beside the point. Um, part of why this sticks out is Trey Burke was pl- national player of the year that year. We're down by th- uh, we're down by three in regulation. Trey Burke hadn't scored the entire first half. He scored all 23 of his points after halftime. And when we need this big shot, we all know Trey Burke's about to get it. Step back, so steps back away from a double team, still drains the, the three with four on the clock. When we go into overtime, we beat Kansas who is the number one seed. Um, and that puts us into the Elite Eight. So that one's huge to me. Um, but spoiler alert, it's not the only Michigan buzzer beater I have. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Number three, Tom Brady. Uh, here we go. Which one to choose? Tom Brady wins number seven. So this year, this year's Super Bowl, Bucks beat the Chiefs 31 to 9. Tom Brady gets his seventh Super Bowl ring. He was already the GOAT, but going into this season, what was like the number one question in sports? Was it Brady or was it Belichick? We're about to find out because for the first time, Brady's not playing for Belichick. And his first year. He goes to a team that had just previously gone, what was it, 4-12? 5-11? I don't think it was that bad. 
but that they they weren't a winning team. I can tell you that. Yeah, because Jameis Winston had thrown thirty picks for him, uh, and Tom Brady was basically going going through like this summer shopping list of like, who wants to go to the Super Bowl? Eh, I think I'll take y'all. His first year there, he goes and does the damn thing, wins the Super Bowl, undisputed goat status. So, just looked it up. The Buccaneers went seven and nine. Seven and nine. Okay, so it's not as bad as I. No, but still not playoff contender. Right, losing record. Instant, like one season in, win the Super Bowl. I know you hate when I say it. That's goat behavior. I mean, it is, but like, <laughs> you always say that. I I know when we were watching that Super Bowl. You knew that that text was coming. <laughs> but number two, the other Michigan buzzer beater, Jordan Poole, as a freshman, beats the buzzer for three when we're down by two to beat Houston. This was in 2018. We had to advance the entire length of the court with, I think, 3.8 seconds left. We inbound basically to half court to... Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman. And everyone thinks that either he or Charles Matthews is going to take this shot. Nope, we hit this freshman Jordan Poole, who had like five points in the game and was 0 of 2 from 3 at that point. Not wide open either. Basically gets like more or less knocked down. He takes one of the most off balance, like leg spreaded shots I've ever seen in my life. Just buries it. With no time left on the clock. There was no time for a fling. So it was over. Um, And that sent us into the Sweet 16. And that only happened because I think his name was Devin Davis on Houston. Missed back-to-back free throws to give us the opportunity to do it. So to see us like, I guess like the roller coaster of emotion in the last 10 seconds was like, oh, we missed. Oh, he's going to go hit these two free throws. Oh, he missed one. He missed a second. Still unlikely, right? Oh my gosh, we just did it. That's what's great about sports. Yeah, and it really accentuates March Madness, right? Like, putting the madness into it. It's that stuff that we live for, that we want to watch for. Number one. Not my team, necessarily. 2011, the Dallas Mavericks win the championship. Why is this my favorite? Because they beat the Heat in six games. This is very petty by you, man. I can't even lie. Hey, let me go on. Oh my gosh. Let, let me talk. All let right. Me talk. That is what we do, uh, after all. This was the first year of the Heat being like having their big three. And what did we see the, that previous summer? The decision, right? Not I'm taking one. my talents to South Beach, not two. and then yeah, what you're saying. Not one, not two, not three. Promises after promises of all these championships, and it's not just the way that LeBron and Wade and Bosch, for that matter, carried themselves like in the preseason, in the regular season, even in the postseason. They made fun of uh, Dirk Nowitzki's like cough because he was sick. Uh, like they were making fun of him, like leaving one of the games. But it's bigger than that. As soon as the Heat got together, the culture around like 
the sport around the basketball world was like it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to win. Pretty much everyone was like, well, why even bother with the season? Uh, you put LeBron and Wade together and you add Bosch, that, that, that team is just going to win every year. What's the point? The Mavericks fight through Kobe and Powell, the Thunder with Durant and Westbrook and Harden, albeit they were younger at the time, but still. And then the Spurs, just to get to the championship, to f- to see this monster that everyone thought was going to win all year, and they beat him in six, behind a historically great effort from Dirk Nowitzki, who won finals MVP and finally got the ring that he deserved on like 26 points and 10 rebounds, basically, per game. And that game six was just like, he was willing it. Like, he, you knew he was getting the ball, and he was just killing them a number of different ways, whether it was his post-fade, the three-point shot, driving to the lane, the left-handed layup. He slaughtered the monster. It's what we, it's why, it's what we write novels about. This is what the epics are about, slaying the demon. And the Mavericks did it on one of like the best like, team basketball teams that I've ever seen in my life. Loved every single moment of that. I guess that is a good representation of like the underdog story, you know? The team that no one gives a chance to. Not only that, but like a team that, that's easy to root for and get behind as well. Um, I can see that. I am I was wondering what your number one was going to be. I am surprised that that's your number one. Um, but I guess like historical context. That's kind of like the first. Well, not the first super team, but like that was the one where all the guys were like, we're going to come in and intentionally build this. And we're just going to win like this, like mercenaries, you know? And I mean, what have we seen since then? The Warriors and now the Nets. It's like, this is just what happens now, which is annoying. But um, yeah, I, I can respect it. It's just, it's just funny that like, LeBron losing is your number one. <laughs> to be fair, you're not as much of a LeBron hater now as you used to be. Like you have a little more respect for it for him and like his, you know, this bulk of work. But like, it's just funny. Yeah, I mean, I could, I'd go on about things that I like about LeBron. I genuinely could. Um, and it would start with his philanthropy. I think that as a human being, he actually is a really good person. Um. And he's done things on the court that are that you can't disrespect. The fact that he won, went back and won one in Cleveland against that Warriors team is absurd. Um, granted, Kyrie saved him, but that's beside the point. Like, like you said, I, I don't completely hate the guy, but when we're when we're looking at it in 2011, when he had just done the decision, when he had to make an hour long special to just say, "I'm going to Miami." arrogance at its finest and to see that like thwarted said no 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 we're gonna beat you with the team that we built with like guys that know their role all right that wraps up our top five sports moments let us know if you like this segment and also we'd love to hear from you on what your top five sports moments are so make sure to hit us up on social media at mike and dave pod 
and after the break, we're going to go into the hot seat. All right, guys, welcome back. We're going to close out the show with the hot seat and then a brand new segment right after that. So definitely get excited for that one. But of course, we've got the hot seat and uh, we've got a very special, quite large gentleman as the candidate for this week. Uh, Mike, who we got? We got Giannis Antetokounmpo. I hate to do it to you, buddy, because we just talked about the injury that you suffered in game four. So I hate to literally add insult to injury. Too soon? Question mark? Or not soon enough, because this is (laughs) something that's been going back into the regular season, but has been, I would say, under the spotlight for the postseason. Giannis takes so damn long to shoot his free throws. Why is this an issue? The rule is, from the second you get the ball at the free throw line, you get 10 seconds to shoot. Now, I want you all to get a feel for what 10 seconds is. So, we're going to sit here for 10 seconds. Okay, and that was 11 seconds. Which is actually about how long it takes. Which is like how long it takes. For him to actually shoot the free throws. Yeah. And if you you listen, especially against the Hawks, shout out to the, the crowds that have been coming out to these Hawks games. They're counting it out, albeit a little quickly, but... We, we were timing some of these shots. He's taking 11, 12 seconds to shoot. And first of all, this has been a rule for a while. It's not like they just imparted this. So he should be able to, like, you know, get it together, gather yourself, put the shot up, right? But let's add to this hot seat. Why are the refs not calling it? He got called, like, once or twice in the first round. And since then, they were just like, nah, whatever. He's a two-time MVP. He can, he can throw himself a tea party if he wants to. We don't give a shit. Maybe the NBA was just like, we don't want like to look bad by like continually penalizing one of our star, like superstar players for not doing something that's like a very basic and simple rule to follow. And so they were just like, ah, just like as long as he's not taking like 15 seconds or something and just let it slide, you know, who knows? It's just rough when you have <clears throat> I know we don't want to let like the fans dictate the calls and everything. But when we're calling out every single time he free throws and we're hitting twelve every time, like yeah, they're counting a little quickly, but it's not a difference of like three or four seconds. By the time they're hitting twelve, it is like ten or eleven seconds. And if the refs give out the violation like they should, that could actually like influence the like some of these games, if we're talking about a difference in a couple points, if we lose a game by one point and I look back and Giannis has made seven free throws, but took 12 seconds per free throw to shoot them, I'm going to go, if y'all had called some of that. And that's like, I hate to get on referees. I really do. But when lack of calls that need to be made are influencing playoff games, like that's when I'm like, okay, let's let's put this under a microscope and look at it. It's also like Giannis doesn't even make 
a lot of the free throws after he takes that long. Like maybe it would actually benefit him to just not think about it so much and just go ahead and just shoot him. You know, I'd, it seems pretty ridiculous to me. Like you get the ball, you do whatever like short routine that you want to do, which isn't to me, isn't even really necessary. And then you just put the, you put the shot up and then you keep playing. Like, especially at the end of the game, it can just get very tedious with all the fouling and standing at the free throw line and all that stuff. And then when you have a guy who takes literally the longest amount of time, like required or, or allowed, or even more than that, I could say, then that just extends it even longer and makes it even more tedious. So yeah, Giannis definitely on the hot seat for this week. Now I do want to just flip this real quick and say something positive about Giannis. Ben Simmons has been getting some shit, rightfully so. And this is primarily because he can't shoot, particularly at the free throw line, right? And so he was terrified of going to the free throw line in that series against the Hawks. And that's a big part of why the Sixers lost that series. One of the biggest differences between Giannis and Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is terrified to look bad. Like, he doesn't want to go to the free throw line and miss that free throw. Giannis doesn't give a shit about how good or bad he looks. He really doesn't seem to. Like, he, he'll he get posterized because he goes for blocks, right? Uh, he'll, he knows that, like, people are making fun of how long it takes him to shoot a free throw, but he's still going out there and, like, not letting it get to him. And even though I wish he'd hurry up, like, he's doing his thing. He doesn't really care about what people think about him. And that's been consistent with his character in terms of like his off-season workouts. He says like, I don't really care about making friends around the league. I, I want to do my thing. I want to work on my game. Like he really is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-motivated. Um, internally motivated. And even though he's on this week's hot seat, I do have to say like, that's something I respect about him. But with that being said, I'm sure next time we'll get back to our typical hot seat where we don't have to add this caveat of like, oh, but this is great. But I do want to move in to another new segment we got for you. We're going to roll this out every single episode till the end of time. We're marking it. We got Dave's fun fact. Dave, I'm ready to learn something tonight. What you got for me? Well, I'm going to learn you today, boy. And I want to, I want to preface this. Sorry. Every time that Dave is going to hit us with this fun fact, I'm not going to know ahead of time what's happening. So there's no manufactured reaction or anything. Either I'll know it already or I'll be just as taken aback as the rest of you. Yeah, so welcome to Dave's fun fact of the week. So these aren't necessarily, these could be sports facts, but don't necessarily have to be. And this one is not a sports fact. So first fun fact ever on the Mike and Dave podcast. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Don't worry, it'll be short. This is the history of the smiley face. Now, obviously, we are all very familiar of the smiley face, right? But what's interesting about it is that there's actually a company behind the smiley face that's called the Smiley Company. It's a brand licensing company based in London. The guy who actually created the smiley face, this is 1971. This dude named Franklin Lufrani 
was a journalist in France. He created it to go in the newspaper as a way to indicate to his readers which stories held good news. So like, as just like an indicator, right? Luckily for him, before the campaign started, he ended up trademarking it with the French trademark office. So of course, it ended up blowing up and being a a bigger thing. By the 1990s, he held trademarks for it in about 70 countries, had licensed it to brands like Levi Strauss & Co. 1996, they founded the Smiley Company in London. And then 1997, created the first like emoticons, what we know now as emojis, with the smiley face, you know, and all the different variations and stuff. And fast forward to today, obviously, the smiley face is like, global, right? So the Smiley Company made $538 million in revenue in 2020. So this isn't just like total, this is like what they actually earned, $538 million in revenue. Here's the kicker. They only have 40 employees in their entire company. They managed to do this by by having a bunch of like senior, like high level management and then outsourcing to different companies around the globe to actually, you know, do all the, all the dirty work, I guess. But yes, that is correct. 40 employees, $538 million in revenue for this guy who just created this random icon in this newspaper to indicate that there was good news to be read in the newspaper. I was blown away by that. Hopefully you were too. And that is the fun fact for this week. Are you kidding me? Not at all. First of all, the smiley company. Like, well, 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 that's a big part of it is like, like that's what's trademarked is like the smiley face is like the actually, like he's the first person to actually say the word like smiley face. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much money. Right. Oh, I need to start drawing shit. (laughs) (laughs) If I was good at drawing or creative in any way, then like I would, but. But I mean, it's, it's like two dots and a lot. I know it's, it's such a simple idea, but I guess in the seventies, like anything went, you know? (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's amazing though. Like, that had me thinking about like Walmart and how they had like their their little rollback dude. It's basically a smiley face. They actually they have to pay. They have to pay out to the smiley company they, to use that. They were actually in like a legal battle, Walmart and and the smiley company, <laughs> and they ended up like settling out of court. It was pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine being the judge. Like, I really have to sit here and listen to these two corporate lawyers argue about using a freaking smiley face. <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Um, yeah, I definitely, I did my research on this, but you know, now you all know. So whenever you use the emojis on your phone, like, you know where they came from. So yep, that was my fun fact for the week. And, uh, I guess all it's left for me to do is to say thanks to Mike for, uh, for this episode. I had a lot of fun. Um, and thanks everybody for listening. Um, once again, uh, definitely like hit us up on social media. Let us know your top five favorite sports moments what what you thought of the fun fact and anything else we talked about. Is there a riser or maybe a faller from the combine that we didn't talk about? Because we only specified like four players. 
there's plenty more out there. Is there someone that we didn't talk about? Because in a future episode, we're going to talk about like the draft itself and who we're looking at getting drafted, maybe where we're looking at them getting drafted. So are there players that you think need to be on our radar that might not already be? We'd love to hear all that. We mentioned this before, but we'll mention it again. Uh, interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. And we'll be posting links to some of the moments that were on our top fives as well so that you can check out those videos. So be sure to get out there and interact with us. Um, hit the follow button or the subscribe button or the whatever positive button. Yeah, for sure. Whether you're a member of the of our, quote, adoring public or a sponsor, we love to hear from you. Uh, but yeah, that, that about wraps up this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. Uh, again, we appreciate all of you listening. It's been five episodes down uh, and I've been having a lot of fun. So yeah, once again, thank you. And as always... This has been Dave. And this is Mike. And this has been Mike and Dave Podcast. Alexander on the beat.